Last week's guest, Len Gilroy, Vice President of Pension Integrity Think Tank, is back today. Listen in as we continue our conversation on pension reform and the collaborative approach to making lasting, meaningful, and important change. Right. So it sounds like there's nothing really unique about being underfunded because, you know, a lot of my public pension fund clients, you know, sometimes they think they're like the only ones out there. They know that it's a problem with all of the funds, but it doesn't feel like it's, you know, discussed quite enough. So um, I'm happy that you and I are having this discussion and I want to kind of get a sense if you know, like, is there a percentage of U.S. um, public funds that you can tell me are underfunded? Do you have a number on that? Um, I, I, I could get that. We could calculate it. I never actually tried to calculate their share of them. But what I can say is that if you look at um, how many are over 90% funded today, um, you'd be talking about a handful. You'd be talking about uh, you know a, a, a handful of states, Wisconsin Retirement System, North Carolina, a few others. If you start, if you go to the 80s, you, you capture a decent number you know, they have some big systems like Florida and, and others that are kind of still hovering at the low 80s. When you get into the 60s and 70% funded, that's where everyone is. Um, by and large, there's a big chunk in the 50s too, and a few that, you know, have gone south of that. Once you go south of 50%, it's really difficult. I mean, there is nothing that is going to help you outside of a lot of money and some pretty major overhauls. Um, so that's kind of the Illinois, the New Jersey's, you know, those situations. Um, so, so what would be like your best creative approach? Like if you went into one of those funds, what would be something that you would say, okay, this is like a creative way we're going to solve this? Well, um, I think... Or maybe it's a confluence of, of more than one thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a few things. I mean, number one, especially with the big challenge, challenging ones, um, y- you need everyone at the table. So you need... A- all the stakeholders to kind of agree on the problem. Um, and um, for you know, a lot of times they do, it's just how vocally they kind of throw it out there in the public discussions, you know, like um, it can, can vary. Um, but when you get people sitting around the table and you can agree on some of the problems, um, you know, I think you could, the structural parts are fairly straightforward if you can get people calm sitting in the table, looking at charts and going, yeah, we agree this and this and this. That part and kind of the new plan part, I would say for, for new hires, because you know, especially in the situation where you're talking about Illinois, New Jersey, some of these places, you, you, you really are going to be talking about that. And this is not just me saying it. I mean, um, New, New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney has for years had different um, hybrid right. type proposals out there for, for their plan and, and really creative ones that kind of blend We'll give you up to like for the first portion of your salary up to like 50k it'll be a traditional pension that looks like the one that people get today and then above that it's like a cash balance plan that has some flex and interesting creative ideas like that that part at that still has been that's that kind of idea has been on the table in new jersey for years they still haven't gotten that part done and i would say that's the easier part the harder part um, and you're seeing some news this week just to stay with new jersey that they're going to be i think making for the first time in like, well, I don't, I don't remember how many years, but decades, I think, um, a full pension payment. And which is like the bare minimum of good behavior fundamentally, but like for New Jersey, that's a huge step forward. Now, I think they had to borrow money to do that. I'm not saying it's clean and perfect and optimal, but that money part tends to be the harder part in any of this because 
you can, the new plan design, that doesn't really cost you anything. You, it, it just sort of slowly ratchets up. It's only people hired next year and the year after. It's a really slow thing through attrition. That's a slow, a slow burn, if you will. Getting money into plans to solve major problems and to stop big amortization, you know, uh, neg like negative amortization problems and stuff like that, meaning you're just not paying down your debt fast enough. Um, those are the, that's the hard part because you, uh, absent, you know, COVID money, you know, coming from the federal government or tax surpluses or this or that, which, you know, lots of folks are talking about right now. Um, that isn't the norm. So typically, you know, you're not sitting there with lots of surplus money to spend on things. And so that that money, how do we how do we treat the legacy plan properly becomes really the hardest part in those crisis situations that you asked about. How do you find the money and then how do you stick with it for like not 5 years or one, but you know, Fifth, 30, a long time. 40. You know, there are <laughs> some plans time. that have, yeah, yeah. I mean, some plans have really long amortization periods. And yes, we, we'd like to change that. But every time you do that, it means you've got to throw in more money. So, yeah. you know, I, I think for anyone sitting there in states right now where there are major surpluses, um, you know, I, I we think of surpluses as, um, you know, certain, a lot of politicians talk about tax cuts and, you know, that's fine. Um, and, and certainly, you know, um, in lots of places warranted. But, you know, there's all the other good uses of surplus money that, you know, I think any sort of prudent fiscal steward could, you know, could could embrace. And, you know, investing in infrastructure is a good one. One time money, you know, it's a good thing to do. Um, you, then you're not financing it or something. Um, paying down normal general obligation bond debt. That's great. Uh, pensions, though, we would say throw that into the mix, too. And even retiree health care. Um, should be notionally thought of the same way you think of general obligation debt, because even if it's not on your books the same way, it definitely is in the math of your budget. And so, and so, you know, anyway, we would say that um, states should follow what Arizona, for instance, just did. That's my home state. Um, the budget that just passed here um, had included a billion dollars of supplemental um, appropriations toward pensions over and above the normal annual contribution to two pension systems for public safety that my group has had a you know a, a, the opportunity and really privileged to spend years sort of overhauling you know with the electeds here and with the plan. I mean, it's been a collaborative effort here to rescue a plan that was in a freefall. And now that it's sort of found its footing, five years after a major reform, they they kind of put in the new plan design. They checked the, they kind of put on the brakes. You know, um, a, a new plan design changed the amortization policy that pretty much overhauled everything um, for the most part. And now the, the electeds are feeling confident enough that putting money into that plan is going to be a good investment. And when we ran the modeling on it, we looked and saw that you put in a billion dollars today into an underfunded plan. Just in this particular one, it was going to yield 1.6 billion in long-term savings for taxpayers. So you you put in money now, you shore up the plan, you get long-term savings by avoiding compound interest. I think it really behooves folks today to the, you know, to the extent you have surplus funds that are available for this, for this type of purpose. That's a great, you know, thing that you could be doing right now in the interest of sort of prudent fiscal stewardship and, and living up to the promises. Yeah. You know, I think these are um, complicated issues and, 
I think what you said though, that was really interesting is that it really just starts and it reminds me of, you know, I have three children and I like to parent um, in a collaborative fashion because I think the only way that you can get lasting meaningful change from children, from anybody is really to have buy-in, is to sit down with all sides at the table and to say, let's air your issues let's agree on what they are and let's together find a solution. And I think that's something that you said is, is key in the beginning of this process. And I think in order to really have meaningful um, pension reform, we need to have both sides collaborating with one another. That's really, I, I think it's, it's the key. It's, it's um, what, uh, what the Pension Integrity Project has, has found over and over again. We've been part of, you know, dozens of, of sort of, um, um, sort of uh, reform efforts around the country and have seen, you know, all kinds of different approaches. And the ones that are the ones that stick are the ones that start with people sitting down at a table and sitting, uh, you know, probably, probably across from each other with stern faces at the beginning and, uh, you know, skeptical because I, and I will say this, that the, the, it is unfortunate, uh, um, you know, one of the lessons that we we learned, I, I think, early being a think tank, especially, you know, um, is that the politics are really important and um, and they can be a, a really important barrier. Um, and so what we tend to an ideology really underneath. And what we found is that there was about a couple decades of there has been a couple of decades of debate, you know, between politicians, really primarily. Um, and all of your your listeners have heard or seen it, but it's just sort of like well, pensions are underfunded. So there's one, there's sort of a, a side of the argument that say, well, then we have to get rid of it all and just move to a pure kind of 401k type design. And it's this sort of like, there's only Coke and Pepsi. There's only vanilla and chocolate. These, there's only two worlds that we can possibly live in, right? We can only have like the perfect pension or the perfect DC plan. And, and we look at it and go, and, and I will honestly, decades ago, like we, we bought into that kind of thinking and had to learn the hard way years ago, that's not the way this works, you know, and what, what we discovered as a think tank and as basically technical um, nerds who, you know, try to dive in to these issues, what we found is that it is totally technical. It's not about ideology. There is no, there's nothing conservative about a 401k plan. There's nothing liberal about a pension. And there's, and there's basically, you can have, the way I tend to think of it is you can have well-designed pension systems or poorly designed pension systems. You can have really fantastic DC plans or you can have really poor DC plans and cash balance and hybrid. And I could go on. And I think, you know what I'm saying? Like what I'm saying is it's not the vehicle. There's, it's not like, it's, it's you know, it's not it, right. It's it. Well, it's that it basically we, we tend to be agnostic about the mechanism or mechanisms, frankly, I prefer choices, honestly. I think choices are a way better way to go. It's not administratively that complex. And if, you know, effectively, you know, you have lots of places anyway, they're operating multiple tiers within a pension system. So offering different kinds of constructs is not a radical thing. But I think if you can offer choices to people that meet them where they are in life, Maybe you have a portable benefit. If, if you're, I would say that if your workforce is pretty mobile, then defaulting them into a portable type benefit is probably a smart thing to do if you are interested in promoting retirement security for them while they work. But if they, if they hit that threshold where you, you spend three years or four years in law enforcement or your teacher 
and you decide that's for me, this is for me for my life. Well, you can maybe flip and flip that money into the into the the guarantee return type option or something like that, and then stick out a full career, and then that would be very you know that's one path. But, you know, if you sit at that point and you say, I don't know, and we see this a lot, particularly with uh, like correctional officers and things like that, we're tough, tough jobs, you know, where you, you think you're going to be there forever and you're not and you leave. You don't want to also if you leave at that four year mark, it, it doesn't seem fair to penalize you by keeping the employer money that was set aside for your pension. And, and the pension systems bake the expectation in that that's going to happen. So there's this weird already it's sort of a bizarre kind of process that's happening where they're kind of um, baking in that assumption that most people aren't going to be there. And it's kind of artificially lowering the cost of the plans today, weirdly. I think that's a perverse thing. And I think instead we should offer benefits that meet people where they are um, and and let people choose. And then the, the, the key is design whatever you offer. You offer a pension, you offer hybrid or whatever. It needs to be properly designed so it has guardrails it won't have the underfunding problems um it needs to also be very um disciplined in terms of the funding and meaning elected officials have to be really ready to commit to pay whatever it's going to cost to provide those benefits and not try to punt it kick it off extend amortization periods to lower their rates and do all the games we've seen that happen really unfortunately too often to basically avoid the reality that we're going to have to change our systems. You know, we see a lot of bad behavior. So if you can design a solid system or systems that are going to work for people and you're going to be conservative about it, make sure they're risk managed and you're going to fund it. Great. You're going to have no problem with the retirement system. And that's what we see in Canada. All those Canadian provinces have well-funded systems. They offer great DB plans at very low rates. And they've been able to do it through that kind of discipline for the long-term. Wisconsin and a few others show that, have the bright light, I think, in the US here. And lots of plans just need to aim toward that light. It's not a radical thing. It's just, you know, you need to be ready to embrace change. Right. Well, I think um, it, it needs to happen. Pension reform does need to happen. So I, I'm glad that you are um, at the helm of this. So do you lend in your think tank, just do policy research or do you consult for pension funds as well? Because I think pension funds need you. Um, well, actually we're, we're sort of the best kind of, of consultant. I put air quotes around consultant. Um, we are, we're pro bono. I mean, we don't, you know, we're not consultants in the traditional sense. Nothing better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, we sort of view it as our public service mission. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So, you know, we're, we're sort of providing this because um, it, it, we, we, we see a big gap out there in the, in the, in the pu public policy space in this, on this issue. And so we just, we, we wanted to offer pro bono technical assistance because what we tend to find is that, and imagine this, you get elected to go and you know be a, a leader in your state you go to the state house you sit down and you know you have your your job is some your, your background and your experience something totally different than this and you get sat on a committee where you're looking at retirement issues and then you're making decisions as an elected official all of a sudden you have no experience no real clue how this works and you're now sitting there voting on bills you know and and contributions and things like that right. and, and you just we learned the language <laughs> Yeah. And so we tend to, so what we're trying to do is maybe bridge the gap, help folks like that, just figure out how does, how do pensions work? 
And then there's the motivated kind of elected official who says, we have a real issue. Let's get past all the all the nonsense and politics and ideology. Let's solve something. You know, let's let's get into it. And, and you know, that's often who we're working with. But, um, you know, I, I it, it these are really complex systems. And when you look at the governance around it, where there's really no federal oversight, no federal law, no regulation, and you have state legislators who control the law and build the law that operates these systems, they're the operating systems for the pension system. And those folks don't know what's really going on. It becomes like a really, you can quickly understand how things can become um, and go to disarray really quickly. And so bridging that knowledge gap, getting folks up to understanding, you don't have to understand the mechanics of you know, entry age, normal method of, you know, like, <laughs> like you, you don't need to know that. You just need to know, like, how does this work? What happens if we don't do X, Y, or Z? What happens to the employees and the members if this happens? And, you know, if you, if you pull this lever here in the system, what happens downstream, both next year and in 30 or 40 or 50 years? And once you can start, it becomes much more it's less daunting when you can explain it to people and use metaphors, and help them translate it. So we're kind of translators, I guess you could say. No, what you're, you're good in- translators. I like that. I think Thanks. that's great. And so I think like just for our listeners, like I think what's really important to remember in this pension reform is that we need to collaborate with one another, employee and employer and governments, and we need to treat holistically and we need to like get buy-in from both sides in order to have lasting meaningful change agree uh, <laughs> <In 100%. short. laughs> that's 100 percent right you you said it succinctly and uh and uh better than i could <laughs> no you said great you're amazing i'm so happy to have had this conversation because i really think that you are serving my clients public pension funds um really so beautifully and so importantly I love your work. I love the articles that you've written. Um, and I'd like to see more reform in a, in a positive, meaningful way. So just tell quickly my audience, where can they find you um, if they're looking for more information on this? Oh, sure. Um, so the Pension Integrity Project is a, is a project at Reason Foundation, uh, R-E-A-S-O-N dot O-R-G. That's reason.org. Um, and if you go there, uh, you can do reason.org slash pension. Um, that will take you straight to our page or you can go straight to the site anyway, and it's pretty easy to find. Um, you'll find a, a lot of our work. You'll find a lot of our stress testing work. That's one of our diagnostic tools. You find a lot of commentaries about just sort of writing to try to help people understand and simplify these issues. And, and so we would sort of, and then we, uh, you can, there's a help, help uh, request sort of function there. And you can, if you have questions, requests, we're happy, you know, we're always happy to, uh, to engage folks. So, you know, for anyone listening, always happy to, to, to entertain questions and try to help out wherever we can. So I would Amazing. encourage any Thank of your listeners. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, and I'm going to put all your info in our show notes. So for anyone who did not uh, jot that down. But thank you so much, Len, for coming on. It's been an absolute real pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.